Welcome to Joker Men, podcast about Bob Dylan's music. Thanks for having me. That's the voice of our guest today. I'm Evan, by the way, and then Ian is here. Say hi. Still here. Ian. Hi. Ian's here. And today the guest is someone who is a, a friend of ours and a friend of the stars, you could say, a friend of the music stars, uh, because he's <laughs> <laughs> it's producer and a friend of Jokerman, Jonathan Rado, on the in the mix. Hello, everybody. I'm noticing that you guys have unconventional podcast microphones. Do we? Has anyone talked about that? Yeah, yeah. What do you the mean? Standard is the um, the SM7B. Oh, jeez. That's what Rogan uses. Right, right, right. And, uh, uh, yeah. Marin, you know. Well, we just got the Patreon up and running. So yeah. I think you got to take. They're not super expensive mics. I think you you got to upgrade soon if you want to keep this thing going thanks for that advice (laughs) (laughs) just my pro opinion maybe you can talk a little bit more about microphones in this episode and that's part of the reason we want to have you on rado because this is an album of microphones if there ever was one there's microphones of all kinds and shapes from what i understand on the Mm -hmm. album we're going to talk about today it's this is a long time coming too you wanted to uh you said you would agree to be on the show when I uh, asked you like eight months ago. <laughs> and then, yeah, um, yeah. But you said you wanted to do this album. Why? I said, I, yeah, I want to do Time Out of Mind. So we waited all and, this time. And then you asked me to do Rough and Rowdy Ways. Yeah, because we just, said, we just wanted, we wanted some heat. You know, we wanted like guests with, I know that's what you said to me. You said, to be honest, we just want we, you know, we just want to use your name. We don't care. Draft on your your yeah. No, well, we uh, we've actually gotten bigger stars than you in the meantime, so it doesn't even matter. Wow, I don't. Well, I don't know if that's (laughs) who was the last guest we had in. Uh, who was the last? Who who was that? Uh, Oh, uh, someone Rado might be familiar with. uh, One one Sam France. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, um, it's it just at the same level as Sam. But what about the preview? Who do you got? You got Ian Spavone, Ian uh, Spavonius. Yep, Spavonius, yeah, Betsy Wright. Ian Spavonius. Spavonius. Um, uh, the Diodarios. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. both of them. Not more famous than me. Wow. <laughs> JK, how's it going, everybody? Just bringing a little heat to the, to the old Jokerman podcast. <laughs> That's my energy on this episode. It's great to have. But you finally got me, you know? I didn't want to talk about Rough and Rowdy Ways, but but Time Out of Mind, what a special album. Why? Why? Why is it good? Oh, for so many reasons. I, I think it's my favorite Bob Dylan record sonically. Wow. Mm. Just from that standpoint, I think it's the best recording of a Bob Dylan record. Mm. And I... I really stand by that. <laughs> I think it's I think it's just so cool. And I love, I don't know, I love everything about it. I love Lanois. I love Daniel Lanois, um, what he brings to Dylan and how he's kind of Dylan's foe, you know, yes. and, and he's this he's his his this foe. bouncing board for Dylan to to know what he doesn't want or something. <laughs> or like, mm. I don't know. They hate each other. Do they? And you, I love that. I don't think Do Lanois, hate each other? it doesn't seem like Lanois hates Bob, but I think Bob definitely doesn't like, 
like gets pissed when Lanwan does his yeah. shit in the studio, which is funny considering he's asking him to come in and produce these records in the first place. But yeah, it, it, Bob definitely uses him as kind of a um um like a a nemesis of some sort or something. Yeah, it's like he chose Lanois specifically to have someone to fight against. Yeah, specifically to be pissed, exactly. It, it yeah. probably was that and not because the last record he did with Lanois was a very big success. It was probably he, just that he <laughs> wanted it to be a difficult experience. It's probably a little bit of both. Well, let's set the stage a little bit uh, for the listeners. We're, we're talking about Time Out of Mind from 1997. This is an album you've probably heard of, referenced as the best since Blood on the Tracks. <laughs> Just like Under the Red Sky. And Oh Mercy and uh, Empire Burlesque. Every single album that comes out. But this one is kind of, uh, I think, saddled with more of that than many of the other records. It's the best since uh, Oh Mercy. The best since <laughs> Oh Mercy, yeah. This is a record that Dylan made after, is his first uh, big original album comeback after this brief period of course where he did uh two folk records world gone wrong and uh good as i've been to you and so uh everyone thought MTV unplugged and mtv unplugged which was yeah i mean in terms of studio output right only uh, only the second the second and last original recording of bob dylan songs from the 90s just under the red sky in 90 time out of mind 97 that's it as far as original collections of new studio wow. material go wow this this is kind of a big a big deal okay it's a biggie for sure absolutely because everyone thought that uh with uh good as i've been to you and world gone wrong that like maybe these are just kind of like victory lap records you know maybe he's just doing like some kind of harmless Nice, but not so exciting kind of folk uh, elder statesman type stuff. I don't know if anyone's expecting him to come out with a, this album in 1997, the way that he went and did. <laughs> yet he, he did. And, he yet, did it. and yet he did come and out yet. with it. Yeah. yeah. And it came out and it became a huge success. Uh, Dylan was also. He almost died because of a fungal in infection during this time. He's so yeah, always uh, almost dying. What 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 was the problem with this time again? He, it was like a well, he got a, some kind of bizarre fungal infection that inflamed the uh, the membranous uh, tissue around his heart oh, or, or something like that. I'm and gone, man. He, and he almost died. He was he almost it's, died, man. It, it's a. Apparently, a type of infection you only get from like being in a swamp and like catching it from like bird droppings. That wait, that's how he caught it. Nobody knows how he caught it. Okay, interesting. But it brought to the uh, public consciousness uh, something of the idea: what if we didn't have Bob Dylan? So I think that that uh, adds to some of the the gravitas of this album that every, not only does it sound so nice as you uh, spoke to Rado, but mm -hmm. it also has sort of a, a heaviness to it lyrically and uh, just a uh, Ian's favorite word contemporaneously with the events that were going on. Is that it's my favorite word? A, it's, um, it's such a record. It's, it's one of the only Dylan recording sessions 
that feels like it's a real, like it could be a one act or a, you know, two or even a two act play. It feels like the recording process is actually what made the album so good. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, backstory. Have you done you much know, research on, on it? Have I? Yeah. Have you like read up on yeah, it? Yeah. I'm obsessed with time out of mind. And right here I have, um, that's, Daniel that's Lana great Bob's news. My autobiography God. soul mining. Oh, wow. I didn't know he even wrote a book. Yeah. See, and he, there's a chapter time out of mind. Time out of mind. Oh, that's incredible. Wow. You want me to, what is the, you, what's the first, uh, little bit? Yeah. What does he, <clears throat> how does he start the chapter? Bob Dylan read me the lyrics to time out of mind in a hotel room in New York city. He asked if I thought we had a record, and I said yes. I hadn't heard a note or any melody, but an overwhelming sensation came over me. Am I? Uh, I'm going to pause you right there. Mm-hmm. Well, I paused. The way he says, <laughs> thank you. Uh, when I he stopped. says he read me the lyrics to Time Out of Mind, yeah. you, could, you could interpret that two ways. You could interpret that as Bob Dylan read every single song lyric. Yeah. From top A to B of the record, just to him. Yeah. To Daniel Lanois. Or there is uh, something that we like to talk about on this <laughs> podcast. Perhaps a, uh, a lost self-titled track uh, or a, a track called Time Out of Mind, rather. <laughs> yeah. It that, was, that never made the cut. It was just a cover of the song from Gaucho. Right. Hi, Jackie. You got a guest here. Jacqueline Cohen. Hi. I'm delivering lunch. Hi guys. What's up? You guys look cool. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. You do look cool. Well, apparently we don't have cool cool enough microphones, but well, besides that. Well, we don't sound cool. You don't have pro enough microphones. Got it. And I think that plays into the album at hand. That, that's a great segue. Thank you. Yeah. Can I can I sum up the, the backstory? Oh, time yeah, yeah, please, for you? please. Okay. So Dylan. Okay. So Dylan reads Lanois every lyric from the album just sits there just reading like trying to get to heaven before they close the door like you know okay they go to Lanois studio in in Oxnard he's renting this theater in Oxnard it's like an old movie theater he has all his gear set up on the floor Oxnard like Oxnard Oxnard, yeah California yeah. yeah Jesus and uh they go up there okay and Dylan's obsessed with Beck, what? <laughs> he's talking about. He wants to make a, a like a hip a hip hop record. He wants to make an album with beats and shit. Jesus! And so he gives he gives uh, Lanois all these songs, all these old blues songs that he loves, and Lanois makes loops out of them. Okay, and he starts just making up these loops, and Dylan's going on on these loops and stuff, and so they're making this hip hop record. And based on blues music, and then they're going to record the album. Dylan goes, um, man, I'm not feeling the vibe here in Oxnard, man. We got to go down to Florida to record. And we're going to use my band. Lanois, of course, wants to use his guys. Dylan's like, we're going to use my touring band. They show up. They get down there in Florida. Lanois pissed at the (laughs) studio. He hates the, the, he's in this, in this uh, book, he's like, 
the the piano wasn't up to the standards of my beautiful turn of the century Steinway up in Oxnard. He's just you admonishing us about our microphone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, the rinky-dink sound of this Yamaha was not up to my standards. So he's got a bunch of problems with the room and stuff. The band, he's like, this band is not working. He fires a bunch of people. He flies in his band and Dylan's band. So you have like all of Lanois guys. He's got Brian Blade, Jim Keltner, uh, another drummer, two pedal steel players, like a uh, guy on organ. There's a, uh, uh, what's his face? <laughs> Jim Dickinson's on piano. Okay, so there's just a crazy band. It's 13 people. Let's go. That's how it begins. Uh, song one. <laughs> uh, lovesick. This song, it, it's a such a moods a mood piece, which is kind of like the hallmark of this record. I feel like it's sort of littered with these uh, mood mood pieces, moody pieces uh, mm-hmm. of song. And it record. starts with kind of, I think it's the only Dylan record up till this point anyway, where a song starts with just some kind of vague, like nothing sort of tuning yeah. up like studio soundscape. Yeah. I don't think we've heard that before at all. Solo organ. Yeah. Think kind of reggae. Yeah. Um, reggae or like doors, like kind mm-hmm. of, um, and then I'm walking new streets that I did. This is something that I, I read uh, was, was that the, the way they achieved kind of the special sound to Dylan's vocal on a lot of the record was Dylan was listening instead of having like headphones on. I think he was, he was if I remember correctly, there was just like a shitty little amp that was coming back at him of his vocal like that he had wanted to get this record to sound kind of like these old blues records that he heard on, on Mm -hmm. the radio. And, um, they then mixed this sort of distorted shitty amp with Dylan's clean vocal, like 50, 50 to create this kind of, uh, spectral blend of, of Dylan vocal. Yeah, listen to this. Hold on, let me just find it in the um, the Time Out of Mind book here. Lanois, I'm just going to quote some Lanois quotes out of this book. Please. Go, it's okay. like he's the fourth joker <clears throat> man today. Bob's vocals were penetrate. Oh, wait, sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry. We sent his vocal back into a little Gretsch guitar amplifier. It was a little tube amp from the 60s, and it seemed to automatically give the vocal that sound of the old records Bob had recommended I listen to. I made sure that this this vocal sound was heard on all playbacks, as it was a good idea to juice people up around the room. And I wanted Bob to know that we had unlocked the secret of those old Charlie Patton records. The little Gretsch amp was my secret weapon to recapturing that overdrive sound. Bob was pleased with the device. And there were times on mixes where the amp sound was as loud as the clean signal. I like when he says... Bob was pleased with the device. Yeah. He, uh, he says he's, he's, he used it on Bono's vocal in the early 90s. 
Right. It's on a song called It's No Secret on Octung Baby. So cue that up, guys. Well, Octung Baby is a, a, a really amazing record in terms of like innovative, innovative sound. I mean, it's incredible. It really, it sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday. It's fucking incredible. It's the best one. The best it's why, ever. like, if you're ever kind of confused about, like, what is the deal with you 2 Like, why do people, like, give a shit about them? It's because they invented, basic, or, I mean, Lanois, kind of. But through them, like, they manifested kind of, like, what you think of as just modern rock sound. Yeah, they invented, uh, like, arena music. Yeah. Like and what's funny rock. is that with that record, they were just trying to do like uh, Bowie Berlin shit. Yeah. It's just, it's just Bono's voice is so crazy, you know? Great it's voice. So huge. Great, uh, great record. And uh, so what we have here is like, what would happen if that producer <laughs> was trying to make a Dylan record for Dylan that sounded old? Yeah. And you get something like this. Uh, and also, I mean, but but also, Lanois studied with Eno, you know, like he was, he's Eno's protege. So he's coming at it like, I'm going to make like an interesting, so, like a sonically interesting Bob Dylan album, which right. I think a lot of his albums are really sonically interesting, but they are, it doesn't ever seem purposeful with the exception of um, Oh Mercy like the production doesn't seem to be purposeful. Like it always seems like a recording of a band. But this, like there's some, like there's that Eno haze that's like floating the whole time, which I think is just, I don't know. I wonder if if uh, Tony Visconti and uh, Daniel Lanois have some kind of rivalry for like Eno's second in command. <laughs> <laughs> if Tony Visconti is like, I could have produced that. Right yeah, now. they have a they have a huge. Um, there's a big rift. They don't talk. I think that uh, what Rado was saying about the you know deliberate, very kind of present and conscious production is exactly why Bob uh, has such a hard time in the studio with Lanois because uh, I think up until uh, I guess Oh Mercy initially, and that's maybe why you see him react so strongly against that style on Under the Red Sky. But you know, for most of his uh, his career, he just like kind of rounds up a group of guys and just goes into the studio and cuts the songs and everyone just does what he says to do because he's, you know, Bob Dylan and there's yeah. no kind of controlling studio presence that is like working with him or like almost kind of against him in order to make sure he's doing, like getting what he needs yeah. to get. He wants um, it to be take one. He wants to sing it once. I feel like we could, we could exactly. use this moment to kind of like do some armchair psychoanalysis of Dylan where it's like we've, discussed this so many times at this point Rado I know you haven't listened to the show all the all the times we've done it but believe me <laughs> we've like talked at length about Dylan a busy guy Dylan like being in the studio and just like hoping things fall together doesn't it kind of strike you as something that might be like just a key part of his personality like if you were like tw in your you know 22 23 and then just like everything fell into place for you and you became the world's biggest star, like, why would you feel like you had to then, like, adopt some kind of finicky studio attitude when, like, it <laughs> literally you were just strumming a guitar and everyone was, like, begging you to play Carnegie Hall, like, a couple of years later? Maybe that's a part of why he's so reluctant up till this and, like, maybe a couple other points of being, like, maybe I'll 
try some studio stuff on this record. Yeah. I think he just doesn't like to think, I don't think he likes to think about the recording studio. I don't think he likes to be a little psychoanalysis. I don't think he likes to be captured Hmm. in any way. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that he likes to be filmed or recorded. Right. I've heard stories of him (laughs) going into studios and requesting to see no microphones. See no microphones. (laughs) Yeah. I have a, I've I've heard stories about him him going in and saying I don't want to see any microphones and I I have a friend who was an engineer for him and he he went through all this trouble like two days before the session like hiding microphones and like plants <laughs> like in under stuff under pianos like in the corners like no microphone and Dylan shows up and he like sits at the piano and he's like where's where's my mic <laughs> and then he puts the the mic in front of Dylan's mouth and Dylan turns away from it. <laughs> cool. That's our Bob. And that's actually a lot like, like uh, that's a lot like me actually. Um, because often I uh, am not uh, facing the microphone at when sort of turning away from the mic so that uh, you, well, you so that that like, natural like, energy can flow so that it's, you know, exactly like making a classic song. It's like making a podcast, you know, Right. Some of your most brilliant insights, you're like, you're trying to like shield the audience from them and make it deliberately challenging for them to really get the full strength, the full power of what you have to say. If if it went straight from the mouth into the mic, you would be, your face would melt because of how good my insights are and how clever I am. Um, In person, man, you're, you're just, you're just great. The way you just said that was extremely, uh, condescend (laughs) (laughs) the energy that i'm bringing to this episode let's get back to the to the tune like what do you what do you guys think of this song of lovesick i've said that it's vibey and you know moody i think it's one of one of the best ones on the record yeah i mean this record kind of it's super good chorus that fucking that fucking guitar rift yeah guitar rift uh is just like fucking guitar rift yeah that's cool uh, he's just like, so is so perfect and so brilliant and like simple. And it just like sets the sets such like a tone for everything that's going to follow. Yeah. It uh, says in the book and, that it's Dylan and Lanois playing into the same amplifier. It's them both playing the riff coming at oh, one geez. amp. Interesting. Fun. That's I, I didn't realize that was two guitars at the you, same time. Yeah. Wow. Damn. See, that's what you get when you get a Lanois in the studio there. It just yeah, you get those cool. little ideas. Yeah. It was an overdub. It was done as an overdub, which, you know, technically Bob doesn't like to do overdubs. Bob doesn't do overdubs. Yeah. So yeah. it is no secret that he did not like this record. Like he didn't, he personally <laughs> just didn't like how it came out. Um, yeah. But, you know, so uh, well, it's a weird sounding album for sure. It got mangled a couple times, it, it seems. Mangled, but, how so? Yeah. Well, they moved studio, oh, they, apparently, you mean, they had like this yeah. amazing thing and then it got moved to this new place. Mm. And then there's a whole you know, then they went back to uh, they finished it in Oxnard, and Dylan came and like punched in a bunch of vocals and they mixed it there. And apparently a lot of the, the musicians involved with the record are like, this is not what those sessions sounded like. Like it's, 
wildly like different than what was coming through the speakers well in the, in one on the one hand you could say mangled on the other you could say just you know that's part of the creative process is like you know painting gets mangled many times over yeah. often before i say mangled in, in a way in a in with a loving you know in a loving way right one one thing i think that's notable on uh just continuing on the production side of things or maybe this maybe this symbolizes everything that needs to be said about the production and uh you know bob's kind of uh, feelings towards it um on the you know in the credits on the liner notes uh produced by daniel lanois right. dot 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 in association with jack frost oh, oh, yeah that's amazing jack frost <laughs> association is so good that's crazy i love how vague that is. is that the first appearance of the jack frost moniker had that had that happened i think before? this is the first yeah. yeah, as far as yeah. I know. Because after this, he starts self-producing. Yeah, exactly. Right, because uh, we have even had a comment. When, when I posted something for one of the, uh, the acoustic records before this, somebody was like, why did you remove Jack Frost? From, like, I, I didn't remove anything. It just says Bob Dylan. It doesn't <laughs> say Jack Frost yet. He wasn't. Yeah. He, well, people are idiots, man. He, he wasn't. Jack Frost <laughs> wasn't a friend of Bob Dylan yet. They hadn't quite. Uh, establish that that professional yeah. relationship yeah uh um the next song also lovesick was a, a great kind of a hit for dylan as well just want to say that it, and it was in the the victoria's secret commercial was this was victoria's in secret that commercial. It, yeah yeah that totally was also dylan, the uh, secret commercial was song. this was maybe also dylan's first like big commercial like that yeah, it was pretty epic. Like that song is pretty. I love that like, that was maybe. Yeah, that was Dylan's first like big and soy bomb, and he was playing it with when. Yeah, exactly. When soy bomb at the Grammys. Yeah, yeah, this kind of a big hit for him. We hadn't talked. We haven't talked about soy bomb yet, actually. What year was soy bomb? I think it got to be ninety eight. Is this out? Yeah, right. Yeah, this was ninety seven. So the Grammys always happen in what, like February or something? Yeah, I guess year? this is the time. Yeah. We'll talk about Soy Bomb later. We got to get yeah. to the next song. But Lovesick is a great opener. Epic. Kicks ass. Do we need to get to the next song, Dirt Road Blues? Oh, you, yeah. You know what? Dirt, Dirt Road Blues is good. I actually really like that it's on here. But I think, Ian, you said something recently when we were chatting. It was like, the, this record kind of feels like two different records sort of mashed together. Like, there's, yeah. there's the... There's there's the Lanois record and there's the Bob record and the Lanois record is the good one no, and the Bob record that's is the bad that's one. not yeah. fair to say but well like, there there is a there's the Bob wanting it to be like these quote old records like literally old records and some of that comes through on full songs that appear here that are just like they stepped out of the 30s yeah Dirt Road Blues sounds to me like it could be like they're playing on one of those loops or something that that Lanois made like it seems like um interesting almost like a sample or something yeah, yeah. I, I see yeah, what you're saying it, now. it's kind of yeah. interesting like when mm. when you come at it from the hip-hop like he's trying to do like beats like this is actually kind of a heavy beat oh you know, you know? it's strange when I think about it, it like that which I haven't before it's like it's like a Hanna-Barbera sort of like scrolling background of like a or like right. a, yeah. or even older like a Felix the Cat like cartoon where he's just kind of like doing this yeah it it does yeah. seem very self-consciously uh it's a old cool timing. sounding it's really cool sounding 
It's, you know, and I think you're actually totally right about this, right? I'm looking at a quote about it right now, and Lanois says, uh, he, as in Bob, uh, made me pull out the original cassette, sample 16 bars, and we all played over that wow. for yeah. the album version. It's yeah. just an improvised country blues. That's really interesting. Yeah. What do you think about it now, Ian? Well, I think it's interesting and still yeah. not not what you want uh, coming off of, uh, in the middle of, uh, in between Lovesick and the song that we're going to get to, you know, quite next. Yeah. Or in a second. It's just, a, it's like a left turn. And, you know, we're going to see this on a couple other points, I think, throughout the record as well. Uh, so I won't, you know, blow my entire load on this commentary right now. But there are just, <laughs> there are several, you know, just uh, sort of like replacement level blues kind of whatever tracks stuck into this record which is a long ass record it's like 80 minutes long yeah. basically too long um it's just and it's too and it's like it's 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 very much of a of its time as in like a 1997 record like you know you could fit this much music on a cd so, so yeah. we're gonna so do it like yeah. they just felt like we're gonna do 80 minutes on this <laughs> um and so this is the first you know the first of a couple different tracks on the record i think that um it's not a bad song but just like in terms of the vibe and the feeling and the the mood that uh, that they start off so strong with on Lovesick and we we come back to so so strongly on a couple other points throughout, it's just it doesn't really it doesn't really mesh with what else is going on for been, me at least. It would have been great on a bootleg on the bootleg series. Yeah. Exactly. On the other yeah. hand, it is really interesting to think about this record as like you know a sort of like meta thing of you know Dylan wanting to make one of these old timey records where the songs are not, it's not sort of like artfully constructed as some kind of big arc of, of, of a story within the music. It's just kind of like, here's the happy song. Here's a sad song. Here's a bluesy yeah. song. Here's another, like, yeah, he's a romantic song. And so right. it, it, in, it's just strange because, um, while it does do that and it follows that sort of like old timey record format of like not giving a shit about like the overall experience of the album. Mm -hmm. It's, it's curious that like the sad songs are just so much heavier that it feels like, whoa, like this is not just like, this is not a casual potpourri of different styles. Like Dylan must've been like going through it in some way. Because yeah. when it gets sad, that's where like the center of gravity of this record really is. Yeah, it's massive. This is like a light moment, you know. Yeah, Dirt Road Blues yeah. is like a little bit of levity or something. A little bit of cream in your coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. It 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 almost sounds like a song that uh, uh yeah would have been great on the bootleg uh, series. Um, or, or like it it would have fit. Uh, more appropriately on like Oh Mercy, which was sort of a right. mishmash and a much shorter record. Yeah. And it didn't have, you know, obviously it had the Lanois production to it, but didn't have this like weight and yeah. um, severity to it that Time Out of Mind has. Right. It's a little um, more like funky. Blue, yeah, exactly. You know, blue. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would have it fit in next to like everything is broken or totally. something yeah. on, on Oh Mercy. Well, with that uh, diversion down the dirt road, uh, we find ourselves uh, standing in the doorway with track three. Sure do. Um, God, what a devastating song this is. <laughs> this is a massive. It really brings brings the brings you up. This is a real you know kind of rootin' tootin', uh, <laughs> get your blood flowing kind of. Radio, song. I have a question. Uh, 
see, sometimes I feel like the third song on a record is kind of like the statement of intent of an album. Yeah. Whether that's intentional or not. Yeah. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's just chance. But in this case, I think it's totally true where it's like this, this third song really just tells you like what, what this is really all about. Yeah. It's the first time you get this like kind of, weightless like wall of sound thing you know Mm. like you just get the full sonic like experience of that this album it's just it's gorgeous it's one of his best songs it's it really is it's like knocking on heaven's door or something it's just so beautiful yeah it's it's magisterial a word i don't think i've used on this uh podcast before well done thank you um thank you so much um yeah, I mean, this is just like, it It takes the form of like a classic sort of sad sack ballad that you would hear, you know, there's that there's millions of, but it, it just happens to be like, so, as we just discussed, like so heavy and so like distilled into like this really rich, uh, syrup (laughs) i don't know it's great (laughs) it tastes like maple yeah (laughs) it tastes like almonds rather (laughs) Mm, you know because you might want to poison yourself if you feel this way right cyanide um apparently uh another uh lanois quote i don't know if this comes from his um uh the book that you have there right out but uh soul mining soul um, mining you can buy it anywhere you can buy it on amazon you can buy it at the bookstore Buy it on, uh, buy it on bookshop. Uh, you can read it on your phone, Amazon. Right? Yeah, it's, uh, they got they got apps for that these days. Yeah, don't buy it on Amazon. Um, Lenoir wanted to. Uh, he said he uh, he said he said to Bob, uh, "Listen, I love Sad Eyed Lady, The Lowlands. Can we steal that feel for this song?" That's right. Uh, he did, which I think that totally is makes sense. He said that too. He said what? And what did Bob say? Bob said, uh, according to the end of this little quote, uh, Bob said, you think that would work? (laughs) (laughs) Bob probably uh, was not very fond of that, but it was too much Yeah, I'm sure Bob Dylan loves people just being like, you make it like Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. You know what I love, Bob? (laughs) From the 60s. I love that song, Like a Rolling Stone. You think you could do another (laughs) one just like that? One with that Rolling Stone feeling? Just, Just for this record? I somehow I think it works and I think the comparison is totally valid and totally there. Um it's uh it, it's like Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands written by someone This is what know, happens when the 40 when years the Sad Eyed Lady of the exactly Lowlands breaks up with you. Then you write this right. <laughs> where you just want, like are basically singing about like you know I just want I want to die. I want to be dead now. Do we know anything about like what what kind of you know thinking of in terms of psycho psycho analysis of Bob? Uh, do we know anything about what his his love life and his romance situation was like at this moment in time? Because obviously these are you know it seems like he's writing from some place of personal. Let me let me just here. check on that really quick. Ah uh, yes yes it says he was dating your mom Ian. Wow <laughs> all right I walked walked right into that one. Yeah I don't I don't know your mama. I really don't know. Um, 
it just adds to that mystery. Is that something you guys do on the show a lot? No, it's the first time. Not really. That's cool. You should bring that back once a show. <laughs> I'll insult uh, everyone. I'll insult. The and then here's mother. a sound bite for you. Yo mama. All right. You can have that. That's royalty free. Yeah, we got to get a soundboard going in here. When I first heard this song, um, like the first, I'd heard it before, but it was like the first time I really listened to it was after a, a, a big breakup in my life. And then, and uh, I, I thought that at the end of the song, the lyric where he says, you know, you left me standing in the doorway crying, blues wrapped around my head. I, I misheard it and I thought he said noose wrapped around my head. Mm-hmm. And oh, um, it might as well be that lyric because the <laughs> song feels that way. Yeah, I mean, I, that's got to be what he's talking about, right? My other favorite lyric in this song and deliver, like vocal delivery is uh, you left me standing in the doorway crying, suffering like a fool. <laughs> Just so You cool. know what I love? I love, um, don't know if I saw you. If I'd kiss you or kill you. Yeah, don't mm. know if it mattered to you. Probably wouldn't matter to you anyhow. Oh, so good. Yeah, it's like every it's like every good line in a film noir, like sort of just like put in one song. Don't know if I saw you, if I'd kiss you or kill you. So good. Uh Ian, do you have anything to add? No, I mean, this is another one that extremely kicks ass as, um, you know, mind-bendingly miserable as it sounds. There's there's just, you know, I, I don't, I, it, there's just something about this and Oh Mercy, you know, thinking about them together as the two, you know, Bob and Lanois co, co-credits. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know if, if like, it was just like kind of a, a, fortune you know like a stroke of luck that bob came with such strong material to yeah. Lanois, instead of like the kind of shit that he was putting out on under the red sky or um uh knocked out loaded or whatever yeah um or or if lanois was able to like pull this out of bob during the studio set like i don't know how much of this was written in advance of going into the studio and how much was bob kind of reconfiguring this stuff after they started working on the record because well you know obviously that's something he likes to do but i think the what what it seems to me is that Lanois sort of just instructed the band how to play the songs, and Dylan sang in the room with them, just like standing in the room with the band. And I think he was just really inspired by this grand feeling around him. And I think Lanois is really smart, especially with Dylan's ballads. Mm. You know, like I think he knows how to really coax emotion out of it because there's these long, just like. There's like two pedal steels, you know, just playing like the saddest shit. Mm. And it's like, I think that he's always thinking about this album sonically. And I think it really, it like really works on this, on this track, you know? There's people who I think would, if they were given the chance to be in the room producing Dylan, might be more thinking about like, oh my God, I'm producing a Bob Dylan record. And then there's people who are in the room producing Dylan who think of it as like, I have to like raise him up. Like I have to do this. Yeah. I have to make this. Into Lanois would... People who are like more reverential. Lanois definitely, but clearly is someone who like loves and has a deep connection to like Dylan's music. Yeah. He wouldn't settle. He said he wouldn't settle for anything less than a masterpiece, you know, like he wouldn't put his name on it. And you can feel that. It's like, 
and then yeah of course you're in the studio imagine telling dylan no right yeah. i think we should try this kind of a ragtime style and just being like no it's a bad idea it's a ballad <laughs> and, you know <laughs> well maybe that's why dylan was just like i don't like this record very much i'm sure that's <laughs> why he didn't like lanois because lanois had strong ideas about how he should be presented he didn't let bob bring the children's choir in for this one yeah <laughs> Jeez. What a no, shame. No, Bob. The next song on the record is called Million Miles. Million and miles. I just sort of obliquely referenced the sort of noir aspect of the, some of the lyrics and songwriting here. He could be uh, wearing a trench coat and like smoking in a, in a corner. Kind of sultry, slow burning song. Yeah. It's atmospheric. You get those. The trend of this album is sort of like big hit, like, and then like a murky, dusty Dylan, and then like a huge emotional high, and then like a little exactly. bit of murky noir vibe, and then like a, it's just structured like banger, thinker, banger, thinker, banger, thinker. <laughs> that's, that's how uh, my life is structured too. Yeah. Just, Same. Just, yeah, I think all of our lives really, and if you, come at it with that that time out of mind feeling you can mm, that's why mm. you enjoy this record so much very insightful thank you i'm not being condescending okay <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah i mean there's not that much to say about this this song from to me i mean uh, other than it succeeds with flying colors at the type of thing it's trying to do i mean it's it's great yeah. It's just cool. Yeah. Seems like another one of those beats, maybe. Yeah, I think I think of the um of the blues kind of rambling numbers, this is probably the strongest one or the one that I find myself drawn to most. So like, you know, if, if that flavor needs to exist somewhere on this record, I think this is the song that, you know, can 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 be there to to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um still, you know, uh, coming down from um um standing in the doorway and where we're about to go on the next one, you know, in terms of the up and down, it is, it, it is uh, another speed bump um, in terms of the vibe and the, the emotional journey of the record. But uh, you know, it, it, it's good at what it does. The, the, I love the, like the, the, if you listen to it on a good set of headphones, like the, the percussion at the beginning, which like, almost sounds like bongos to me, but yeah. probably isn't bongos. Like one, like one is in the right channel and the next one is in the left, yeah. left channel and kind of ping pongs back and forth. That's, that's a lot of fun. That's so cool. Yeah. That's uh, Jim Keltner on the, uh, on the drums on this one also. Yeah. In terms of, Someone uh, you, you personally worked with, Rado. Oh yeah. My buddy, Jim, my buddy, Jim, man, <clears throat> you want a Keltner story? Okay. Um, <laughs> Sam were... might've told this, but. Oh Yeah. Well, never mind. What, did no, you no. think about Jesus? He liked yeah, the Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm okay. so curious to hear what your take on that was. That's probably the same story. Just, just re- like, you know, and link it below. Okay. And just I, click below. That, uh, that clip. Jim Keltner is a man of God. That's the that's the point. Yeah, he's he loves, he's he's born again Christian. He, he got born again with Dylan mm-hmm. and then never really turned away from it, I think. That's cool. So well, he's, he's also got, never stopped working. Yeah, never stop working. Always really sweet and just emotional. And so there's two drummers on this record. There's three drummers on this record, but Brian Blade is like an amazing like southern gospel drummer. 
Mm. And so he's playing like a lot of the funky stuff, like on, on, I think on Love Sick and on either standing on the, in the doorway or the next song trying to get to heaven. Like he's playing like the funkier stuff and Keltner's like holding down the emotional, like backbeat. Um, Keltner's mm. like the percussion, like uh, just emotional center of the album. I think he's, he's the right. sidebury of the album. Yeah. Right. That was his, uh, <laughs> his credit on the Wilburys. Um, well with the next song, Wilbury, man, I'm a sideberry. Do you, like the, do you like the Wilburys? Do I like the Wilburys? Yeah, I yeah. love the Wilburys. Good. That's good. Um, I hate it. <laughs> you hate it? Who would say that? I hate the traveling Wilburys, man. What is it you're pointing at me? I like the Wilburys. Ian, <laughs> Ian likes the Wilburys, but he doesn't love them. He doesn't Wilburys. love it. No. I, you know, I... I you know, I, I I love the idea of the Wilburys and the spirit behind the Wilburys. I think uh, some of the Wilburys' output is a little uneven, uh, yeah. but in terms of dudes, you know, hanging out and just being dudes, it's it's fantastic. It's the it, best it, of it's, that. Uh, it's as even as a six pack of beer. It's That's... the Beatles of like five dudes hanging out. It's yeah, yeah. it's the Beatles of five dudes rather than four. <laughs> They're like the five dude Beatles. The next song uh, is a song called Tr- "I'm Trying." I'm trying to get to heaven. Uh, this did you hear the David Bowie? It's called version? "I'm Trying to Get to Heaven Before They Close the Door." Have you heard the David Bowie cover? Yeah, it just came out, right? It just came out, but it was from I don't know, like ninety nine, maybe or something like that. It's good. It is good, like legit. It good. is. It's. I haven't heard this yet. Oh, it's very good. Um. Yeah, it only came out re- yeah, like a month ago or something. Does it sound does it sound like is it a pretty faithful kind of take? No, or does it, he, he does, does he, fuck he with definitely it? does his own thing with it. It's re- yeah. it's really interesting. But he sings the melody, you know? Yeah, it, it actually kind of sounds a little bit more U two ish than this. Yeah, it's more electric or something. Trying hmm. to get to heaven before they close the door. That's not a very good Bowie. Oh good. Yeah, it's a decent Bowie. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Definitely better than I could do. Excellent. Do um, it again. <laughs> <laughs> the air is getting hotter. <laughs> make sure you make sure you stay on mic for that one. It's a good song. Uh, I don't know if I actually almost maybe like the Bowie version more, um, but that's like neither here nor there. This this is a really a good song. I don't have anything bad to say about this song, although. I sometimes I feel a little bit like the wind gets out of, out of the sails of the record a little bit here. Trying to get to heaven? A little bit. Oh, wow. I think it's like yeah, we're like I think it's more of a sequencing thing than anything else. I think maybe I just like don't don't uh yeah, I don't know if I so like beautiful. where it's placed here, but um Right. I, you know what would be an interesting alternate sequence? It's switching standing in the doorway and trying to get to mm. heaven. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about that? That actually is really interesting because trying to get to heaven is like a great way to sort of do the third song thing. And then this would be like, yeah, if you put standing in the doorway, sort of like the mid, mm-hmm. sort of like the act, end of act two or end of act yeah, one. Yeah, the emotional centerpiece. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's really crazy how much just flipping around a couple songs can change a record. L- lest we 
I mean, get into this again, but I gave uh, Oh Mercy two out of three stars instead of three stars, basically just because I can't understand why they would cut out Series of Dreams. <laughs> which is like, why the what? Why, why they cut out Series of Dreams on that record, mm. which I think would have been an incredible opener or closer on that album. I think you mean why they cut out the title track, Oh Mercy, Evan. Oh, right. Shut <laughs> up. It was originally called Oh Mercy. Completely ridiculous <laughs> fact. Ian, you haven't touched your trying to get to heaven. I haven't. What, what you- no, it's uh, it's fantastic. I mean, we're still we're we're back. We're back. We're back on the upswing here. You know, this is it's a little bit like the uh, like the COVID waves. You know, it's like it's up a little bit and then it and then it dips and then and then a couple months later it kind of goes up again and dips again. And now, honestly, trying to get to heaven might be the the absolute peak. Um, totally, people starting to get vaccinated. Yep, exactly. This Do is it. early January, twenty twenty one, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it. It rocks. It kicks ass. It's it's got such a great like kind of spirit to it. This is like a, um, like I think like the perfect kind of synthesis in terms of mood on the record. Where like it's it is moody, it is atmospheric, but it's not like completely like downer, like put your head in an oven kind of shit. Um, no, it's it, it's got the Phil Spector yeah. kind of thing, and it's got the droning Lanois aspect. And I think it's great. I mean, it's, it's like it's also my got a, second favorite, yeah, third yeah. favorite. Return of a famous character, Heaven's Door. <laughs> oh, the door of heaven makes a triumphant return on this song. Heaven's Door, fan fan favorite. Heaven's Door. Have you tried the Heaven's Door uh, whiskey, Fredo? No, I haven't. Is that Bob Dylan? Bob Dylan's whiskey? <laughs> it is. Yeah, sure is. We'll uh, we'll send you a bottle. It's called Heaven's Door. It is called Heaven's Door. <laughs> you get sponsored. Yeah. We won't send you a bottle. We, it's send, like we send bottles of Heaven's Door to all of our guests. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> sure we do. You guys should do get ads for it. I would like that. Hey guys, this is for our monthly subscribers. Uh, we're gonna promote our special product, Heaven's Door Whiskey. That's right, Bob Dylan's whiskey. It comes directly to your door. I wouldn't be surviving this pandemic without Bob Dylan's Heaven's Door Whiskey yeah. uh, at my side. I take a swig of it in the morning, take a swig of it at night. Whenever I need a little bit of inspiration, I just reach for that Heaven's Door Whiskey. And r- right now, if you go to heavendoorwhiskey.com, you get a tw- and with, you get a 20% discount with the uh, code Jokerman <laughs> at heavenstorewhiskey.com with the 20% off code Jokerman. All right, back to the show, guys. Thank you. All right, let's make sure we send that to the Bob Dylan estate and then invoice them for the, the services performed. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's how these guys make that's, cash. That's a good know? point. All about that ad space. The next song is called Till I <laughs> Fell in Love with You, which sounds like the name of a song from like, a musical from 1960 mm. or something like, uh, or uh, till there was you, I guess is what I'm thinking of the music. Till man. there was you. Uh, th- but this song is actually much more about, um, how it is, is a bad feeling to be in love. In, in many ways. You, uh, one could say he's sick of love almost. He's love sick. I actually read a quote today that uh, reminds me of this song. This is by Slavoj Zizek. He says, Love feels like a great misfortune, a monstrous parasite, 
a permanent state of emergency that ruins all small pleasures. That's what this song is about. Hmm. I'm, I can't, I hate that I love you. Don't let your girlfriend listen to this one. Um, what do I have to say about till I fell in love with you? I mean, it's cool, you know, it's a cool one. But it, but let's let's be honest, right? Like, let's get down to brass tacks. It's not one of the e tickets of this record. You know, it's not. You don't put this on like excited to get to the point where you hear this song. If we're gonna turn "Time Out of Mind" into a record that fits on on an LP instead of a CD. This is one of the ones that gets cut. Unfortunately. And it's, you know, it's another like great song. And it's fun to hear Bob do, like, especially on the heels of the cover records at the beginning of the 90s, um, you know, where he was plucking all of these blue standards out uh, of obscurity and then doing his own kind of very spare, uh, spare and sparse covers of them. Now he's he's writing his own versions of these blue standards and they've got that really kind of funky you know, Lanois touched to him. It, you know, it's a cool kind of concept and project and stuff. But yeah, I mean, yeah. just compared to the the towering heights that surround this song, once again, the song that's before it and the song that's right after it, mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah. you know, it, it's uh, it's such a weird kind of like speed bump. Mm-hmm. Agree. That's how it goes. That's how it goes on Time Out of Mind. Uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end of Side A. Well, as you just teased, Ian, the next song is a humdinger. So obviously you'll want to listen to the next episode later this week of our special Time Out of Mind podcast event featuring Jonathan Rado. This has been... Jokerman. The end is getting harder. There's a rumbling in the sky. I've been wading through the high muddy water with heat rising through my eye. Every day your memory grows dimmer. Doesn't hurt me like it did before I've been walking through the middle of nowhere Trying to get to heaven before they close the door Oh yeah
Sugar down, trying to get. 